Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome in to a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride, as usual, and this is going to be a fun episode because I get to talk about international basketball, which always makes me happy. It's why I'm always updating about FIFA World Cup exhibition games. It's why I'm always talking about random players from random places because I just love their game so much. I just love watching international basketball. So because of that, I've been able to really dive into all of the things that I care about a little bit too much, which is the FIFA World Cup. And today I'm going to really break it down. Um, I have the top 10 teams in terms of um, basically just in terms of their betting odds to win the FIBA World Cup. And then I took the top eight and I broke down their teams. I broke down what, what they've done so far in exhibition games, who their best players are, what group they're in for the FIBA World Cup, and who they're going to have to go through to be able to continue through the tournament and things like that. So for everything to do with anything Denver Nuggets or, or anything FIBA World Cup related, I am going to cover. Obviously, I'm going to focus on the Denver Nuggets portion of it um, more specifically than others. I'll talk about Mason Plumlee, Nikola Jokic, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and others. Um, and how they're going to match up with the rest of the FIBA World Cup field. So it's going to be a really fun podcast. I really enjoy doing these, and it's going to be something that I have a lot of fun with. Before I go any further, though, i got to say sorry. This podcast was supposed to come out on Monday, but my little brother, as I was helping move his car to a different location, happened to die in the middle of Spear Boulevard right before Cherry Creek. So if about... Of if around 2.33 p.m. on Monday, if you happen to be stuck in terrible traffic because somebody just happened to have their car break down on Spear, that was my brother and I was standing there right next to him dealing with it. So things got a little bit chaotic, stretched out, and just really out of hand. And because of that, I had to push this podcast back. But we are going to get into it now, and I'm excited to do it. So, first, I got to give some love to the Regulators Production Group. They are the ones who created the beats for the intro and outro of this podcast. Without them, this podcast would sound extremely mediocre because my voice does not sound anywhere nearly as good as their production does. So, go find Regulators Regime on Instagram or Rod Simba on Instagram. That's R-O-D-S-Y-M-B-A for anything you need audio production-wise. They're awesome what they do. They're great people, and I love the beats that they put together for the show. Additionally, the benefactor of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast is none other than Terrapin Care Station. So for any cannabis goods in the Denver metro area, make sure you go find your way to a Terrapin Care Station somewhere near you. So before we go any further, here's a quick word from Terrapin. Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that 
are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. So as I said in the intro, I really wanted to dive into the makeup of these individual national teams going to the FIBA World Cup, talk about the Nuggets' relation to them, which teams I think are going to be the most difficult to deal with in a game situation, and the teams that I feel like are going to be the biggest competitors of the USA to actually take home the gold medal. Um, so let's just, I want to list this out first with just the odds to win the World Cup. And I had the top 10 teams, Russia's 10th at plus 10,000, then Argentina at plus 8,000, Lithuania at plus 5,000, Australia at plus 4,000, and then Canada in 5th at plus 3,300. Then you have France at 2,800, Spain at 1,600, Greece at plus 1,000, Serbia at plus 350, and then the USA team at minus 240 is the overwhelming favorites. This is wild to me that the USA is that much of a favorite, in my opinion. I mean, don't get me wrong. Kemba Walker, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum, Miles Turner, Joe Harris, Brooke Lopez, Kyle. I guess I can include Kyle Kuzma in this list. They're all very good players. Mason Plumlee is a very helpful player and has actually won a medal with the USA team before. So... They have a very strong team, of course, compared to the rest of the field because the NBA and the USA are just, they're just the kings when it comes to basketball. It's always been that way. Um, When you start looking at what they have done so far in exhibition games, they have played two exhibition games, one against their own select team in which they beat them 97 to 78 and then a nine-point win over the Spanish national team as well. So they're only 2-0 in exhibition games, which is much lower than everybody else. They're playing a lot less games than most of these other teams. So it's it's hard to judge them based on how they've played in these exhibition games. The select team is supposed to get smacked by them. They're clearly worse because they're on the select team, not the national team. And then Spain gave them a good run. Uh, the USA team was able to you know build this lead up bigger than just nine points at multiple occasions throughout the game, but the Spanish national team was able to keep pace with them, and that is actually a very notable thing in my opinion. Two more games still to come exhibition-wise before FIBA actually kicks off for the USA team. They'll play Australia on the 22nd of August, and then they'll play Australia again on the 24th of August. We'll talk about Australia a little bit later in this, but Australia still has some players. Joe Ingles, Aaron Baines, Matthew Delavadova, Jonah Bolden, Andrew Bogut. So it's not like they're just a team that's going to roll over. So I think we'll get a better idea of where the USA team is at once they do take on Australia those two times and we see how they fare. I mean, they have... Australia has some NBA talent. They know how to play together very, very well. Um, That overall talent level is significantly lower, so it's going to be interesting. But we're going to get a better idea of where this USA team is at. So, in my opinion, the starters that they're probably going to throw out there is Kemba Walker, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Chris Middleton at the four, which might be a stretch. They might try and find a bigger player like a P.J. Tucker. 
um, isn't going to be playing. So, but oh man, there's so many dropouts from the USA team. I don't even know who's on the team anymore. I've looked at the roster like 30 times for this podcast and it's still getting mixed up, but if they want to go bigger, they might have to find a better power forward than Chris Middleton and just, and, you know, bring Jason Tatum off the bench. But I think they need to start Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt. They need Middleton on the floor and they need Miles Turner to start at center. Figure out the rest of it as it goes. Again, you got Joe Harris, you got Brooke Lopez, you got Mason Plumlee, you got Kyle Kuzma. There are plenty of players and enough depth to be able to create a decent starting five that it will be better than almost any other team. And we'll get to that in a second. So I want to talk about Serbia extensively, but the USA team, they're they do not have the upward trajectory, the freakish talent disparity that they have had in years past. Um, also, I do want to talk about Mason Plumley very briefly. So right now, there are 13 players on the USA men's national team, and they are traveling together, and whoever gets cut, because they need to cut one more player, is going to eventually have to fly back to America by themselves. I think Mason Plumley is at risk to be that last guy, specifically because there are more centers on this team than you would expect. They're going to start uh, Miles Turner, it seems like, and then the battle has been between Brooke Lopez and Mason Plumley for that backup center position. I would imagine that one of those two ends up getting cut, and I'm not sure which one it'll be. I'm very, you know, 50-50 on which one it'll be. If they want the shooting and the spacing, they'll keep um, Brooke Lopez. If they want a little bit of playmaking and creation and just toughness, they'll keep Mason Plumley. But we'll just have to wait and see, but it does look look like Mason Plumley's head could be on the chopping block in terms of getting cut from the USA men's national team. His gold medal he got, I believe it was 2013. I could be wrong about that date, but um that might be something that helps him is that he has team USA experience, international play experience. So, it's going to be interesting to see who ends up getting cut from that team because they are at 13 and they need to get down to 12. Let's talk about Serbia next because Serbia Oh wait, you know what? One, one more thing with the USA team. They are in group E with Turkey, the Czech Republic and Japan. The USA team should absolutely eviscerate the group E um, challengers, I guess you would call them, that are going to be coming through. Being minus 10,000 to win Group E is insane. So I do think that USA will have no problem getting out of their group, but once you start getting into bigger play, uh, more of a tournament play, and they start taking on these bigger names and more talented teams, it's going to get entry- interesting. Turkey is not a pushover, but the Czech Republic and Japan just don't have an ability to stick with the USA team in any capacity. Turkey does have some players. They have Chetty Osman on the team and a couple other Turkish players that are actually NBA caliber talents, but again, they're not the USA team. They don't have the USA level of talent there. Let's talk about Serbia next, who is going to be in Group D with Italy, the Philippines, and Angola. They're only minus 600 to win Group D, which is surprising to me. Italy's no pushover. Italy always finds a way to make things interesting, and they will find a way to continually make things interesting, but they're outside the top 10 in terms of overall um, odds to win the FIBA World Cup. So I'm surprised that there's that much of a disparity from the USA team being minus 10,000 and also Spain being minus 10,000 to win their group and Serbia being minus 600. I know that Italy is much better than Turkey. I understand that Italy is going to be better than Puerto Rico or Iran or Tunisia, which is in Group C with Spain, but that is just a big disparity in my opinion. 
But let's talk about Serbia and what they've done so far. They have now played seven exhibition games, and they are seven and zero in those exhibition games. They beat a Serbian team that, or they beat a, a professional team in Serbia, KK Borac Kakak, ninety-seven to sixty-six. They then beat Finland, ninety-five to seventy-five. They then beat Lithuania, seventy-eight to, or seventy-two to sixty-eight, before beating them again a day later, ninety-five to ninety-one. And Lithuania is not a pushover. Lithuania is a team in the inner national play is always difficult to get past and the fact that Serbia beat them on back-to-back days is very impressive. Uh, Serbia then beat Turkey 87 to 72. They beat Italy 96 to 64. Again, that's why I'm confused that Serbia is only minus 600 to win Group D because they just got done beating Turkey by th- or got done beating Italy by 32 points, who would be the second best team in that group. Um, but regardless, I digress. And then they beat Greece without Nikola Jokic in overtime 85 to 80, despite the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo was playing for the Greek national team. So they have Serbia is only one of two teams who are still undefeated in exhibition play other than the USA team, but they've played five more games than the USA team has already. They also have two more games to come. They will play Italy again on the 23rd of August. That's three days away from right from uh, from Tuesday, which is right now as I record this podcast. And then two days after that, they will take on New Zealand as well. So when you start looking at the Serbian team, the, the places that it starts is, of course, Nikola Jokic, because he's arguably the best player in international play right now that's not named Giannis Antetokounmpo. So obviously, Nikola Jokic is extremely important. He still has not started for Serbia, which I find very funny. Um, the fact that Nikola Jokic is still just kind of off the bench because he hasn't been around the team as much is such like a, it's such an old school, international, Eastern European way of going about things because, you know, you you're not around the team as much. You don't know things as much. So you're just going to come off the bench because that's just how it is. Despite the fact that Nikola Jokic is better than every single player in international play other than Giannis. So I just find that really funny. He will eventually start. If he doesn't, it's going to be one of the dumbest international decisions of all time. And I have absolutely no reason to believe that will be the case. But again, Nikola Jokic still has not started a game, but he's been great. He's very efficient from the field. He's looked extremely mobile. His passing has been on display. He's rebounding. There's no one who can handle him down low and he's shown a lot of chemistry with guys like Stefan uh, Jovic and then and then Bogdan Bogdanovic as well and then of course Nehemia Bielica is fantastic Marco Gurek is also a very very good player I believe he's on the Grizzlies now this year a guy that just came over to into the NBA this season or will be going into the NBA this season but Nikola Jokic has been great Bogdan Bogdanovic has also been phenomenal. That dude has no fear. Like I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of Kings games last year just because things were so crazy with the Nuggets throughout the season, but finally being able to sit down and really watch Bogdan Bogdanovic has been so much fun. That dude is absolutely fearless. I watched a, re- a rebound get battled for, and it literally like Robert Ori tipped to him. Or like the you know the old Robert Ori big shot Bob kind of shot that he had against the Spurs. That was what it looked like. It was just like a tip out of a contested rebound straight to his hands for a bucket. Like the dude just the second he's ready and the ball touches his mitts, he is going up to fire if he is open, and it's awesome. The Nuggets need Jamal Murray to play more like Bogdan Bogdanovich in this way. If the Nuggets had Jamal Murray every time that a guy went under a screen, just pulling up every single time, it would make the Nuggets significantly more lethal as an offensive unit. So it's been very interesting to watch the chemistry between 
between Nikola Jokic and Bogdan Bogdanovic because those are the two stars, uh, per se, for the Serbian national team. Then, of course, you have Nehemia Bialica, who's also good. You know, 6'10", small forward with a sweet shot. Uh, Boban Marjanovic has been starting over Nikola Jokic for the time being. Uh, so Boban will eventually be the backup center as a nice change of pace. And he's been pretty good. He had a Nikola Jokic as full-court baseball pass earlier um, a couple games ago, actually, which was awesome. And then uh, Stefan uh, Jovic, I really like him. He's a guard that's been playing as well, um, basically opposite of Bogdan Bogdanovic. He's been their more uh, point guard, point guard, the, the initiator that when Nikola Jokic not on the floor, and he's been a terrific playmaker for them, averaging eight or nine assists a game in a 40-minute game. Uh, lots of strong chemistry between him and Nikola. He's getting Bogdan Bogdanovic so many open shots. Serbia looks lethal, man. Like, this Serbian team, is so talented. They have so much camaraderie and chemistry and familiarity between them. They have such upward potential in terms of talent because Nikola Jokic, Bogdan Badanovic, and Nehemia Bialica are probably a big three per se in the international game right now that is better than anyone else out there in terms of a big three. Greece has Giannis, Thanis, and Nick uh, Calathes, and then Spain has Marc Gasol, Ricky Rubio, and Sergio Lowell. You, you really just don't have a big three, three legitimate players who are going to be able to attack you in so many different ways at any given point. So Serbia has the, they have the upward trajectory of talent, or I guess the ceiling in terms of talent. They have the chemistry that no other team in the international play has. They have the familiarity, they know how to play together because people from Eastern Europe play so similarly, they're so fundamentally sound that all of those things added together with the fact that they have a savant playmaker in Nikola Jokic who is unguardable in international play and a just fearless shooter in Bogdan Bogdanovic and other shooters to surround them and perfect role players to kind of just pick up the slack, Serbia should be the team that is favored to win. That's why they're 7-0 in international play. It's why they were able to beat Greece despite the fact that Giannis played and Nikola Jokic did not. It's why they're probably going to roll Italy and roll New Zealand and end up rolling through Group D despite the fact that they're only minus 600 to win that group. I am all the way in on Serbia as a World Cup favorite in my eyes. I am so prepared for them to just have a gigantically great showing in the FIBA World Cup. They've just been, they've proven everything that they have the ability to do so. So I cannot wait. I, I cannot wait to see what Serbia can do. So again, two more games coming up. 823 against Italy, 825 against New Zealand. Uh, let's move on to Greece. Greece is really in this conversation as the third best odds to win the FIBA World Cup for really one reason, in my opinion, and that is Giannis Antetokounmpo. They have other players, like Thanis, his brother, is good. Nick Kalaitis is a good distributor. He's a smart player. He can shoot. Uh, Giorgio Papayanis was an NBA player, despite the fact that he fouled out of two summer league games in one summer league event. Um, Kosas Papanikolaou, Nuggets great. Kosas Papanikolaou is also going to be on the team, was an NBA player. And then Axel Tupon, also Nuggets great, Axel Tupon. Those are really the best players, in my opinion, on that Greek national team. But everything, and I mean everything. Thing runs through Giannis. Giannis is a damn cheat code in international play. Watching him play against the Serbian team, despite the fact that they lost, they're just like when Giannis decides that he's going to go to the rim, he's getting fouled or he's scoring. It, it, it's just it. There's nobody who is physically able to match up with him in the NBA, let alone anywhere in an international game. So everything, and I mean everything, starts with Giannis. 
Um, the Greek national team is in Group F with Brazil, Montenegro, and New Zealand. Um, they're minus 450 to win Group F. And it's going to be interesting because New Zealand, they're not great. Brazil's not great. Montenegro's not great. But they're all decent enough to make it somewhat difficult. Um, but still, I just like Serbia, I think Greece should have better odds to win Group F than they are being given. Still, let's talk about what they've done. Uh, they've played six exhibition game so far with one more to come they beat iran 82 to 69 they beat hungary 83 to 59 they beat iran 88 to 58 they beat italy 83 to 63 and then they beat turkey 84 to 70 before eventually losing in overtime 80 to 85 to serbia so Iran and Hungary are not great teams. Turkey's all right. Italy is all right. So they haven't really had an opportunity to play an elite level team until they played Serbia, who did not have Nikola Jokic and they lost. Again, a grain of salt with everything that I'm talking about because these are exhibition games, but this is not an all-star game like in the NBA. These players care about these games because they need to get the chemistry up. They need to know who they're going to be playing against. They need to understand their opposition. So I do think it's notable that the Greek national team did not have enough supplementary help around Giannis Antetokounmpo to where they could not beat Serbia even without Nikola Jokic. That's going to be an extremely interesting development. And if Greece and Serbia end up meeting up again, it's going to be very fun to watch that game. But Greece, despite the fact that they have the third best odds at plus 1,000 to win the FIBA World Cup, are going to be a team that I do not believe in as much as some. Giannis is Giannis. I will never take that away. But... If you're going to be the best player on the floor by leaps and bounds against Serbia and you still can't pull that game out because there's just not enough supplementary help, that's going to lead me to worry about your ability to really take on these teams when they're at full bore and they're attacking and they're going 100%. So we'll wait and see. Again, these are all exhibition games, so it's hard to say, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. But let's talk about the Spanish national team, because despite the fact that they have the fourth best odds to win the FIBA World Cup at plus 1600, they actually have a minus 10,000 for their odds to win Group C against Puerto Rico, Iran, and Tunisia. So because of that, this... This, to me, screams, Spain has been here, they have done that, they know how to win an international play, they have veterans, so we're just going to give them a lot of benefit of the doubt. They also have quite a few NBA players or potential NBA players on their roster, so they are a very good team. There's no denying that, but they are not nearly as high-end talented as they have been in years past. So, they've currently played four games, exhibition games so far. They beat Lithuania 78-70. to They beat the Ivory Coast 79-62. They beat the, D- the Dominican Republic of the Congo 96-64. And then they lost to the USA team 90-81. to They still have one more game against the Democratic, uh, or against the Dominican Republic, and that will be on the 22nd of, Oct- uh, of August, which is in two days from this time of recording. Um, obviously, Marc Gasol is still the heart and soul of that team. No Pau Gasol this year, but they still have Ricky Rubio, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Willie Hernan Gomez, Rudy Fernandez, Victor Claver, and then Sergio Lowell. And also, Sergio Lowell is good. People should not be discounting this Spanish national team because Sergio Lowell can turn into the international Steph Curry and just go nuts. He shot like 45% from three last year. He can pull up off the dribble. He can he can he can catch he can shoot off the catch. He can play on or off ball. He is a very sound playmaker, a smart decision maker. He is awesome. I am all the way in on Sergio Lowell. He could play in the NBA right now if he wanted to, but he just likes what he's doing with Real Madrid and the ACB League. So 
Regardless, Spain is going to be a very difficult out despite the fact that they don't have that gigantic talent disparity that they've had in years before. When it was Mark and Pau Gasol just eating up every front court and international there was, they were able to keep up with pretty much anybody that wasn't the USA team. Now that has changed a little bit, and it's going to be interesting to see how this transition from the old Spanish national team to the new Spanish national team is going to end up being. But tons of veteran leadership. Rudy Fernandez, 34 years old. Sergio Lowell is in his 30s. Marcus Sol, obviously, and Ricky Rubio have been playing in international basketball with Spain forever. Ricky Rubio was 14 when he first played in, in, as a professional in Spain. Uh, Juancho and Vili Hernan Gomez have also been around the international game for a while. So all of these guys are going to have so much experience in this realm, in this arena, that it's going to benefit them quite a bit. Let's move on to France. Uh, after France, I only have a couple more, which is basically the honorable mentions of Group H, which is going to be an absolute bloodbath, but I'll get there in a second. So we're almost done with this breaking down. Um, but I really find this interesting because France is a team, they have a lot of NBA players and borderline NBA players on their team, but yet they are plus 2,800, which is, I believe, yeah, fifth in terms of their odds to win the FIBA World Cup. So France is in Group G with Germany, the Dominican Republic, and Jordan. They are minus 350 to win that group, which is fine. Germany is going to be a little bit difficult to get through. Dennis Schroeder is not a pushover by any stretch. Um, but still, they're better than the minus 350 in my opinion. They are currently 4-1 and one in their five exhibition games. They lost by five points to Turkey. It was 74-69. to 69, And then they went on a four-game winning streak. 94-56 to 56 over Tunisia. 80-72 to 72 over Montenegro. And then 86-72 to 72 over Brazil. Um, 77 to 58 over Argentina as well. Uh, they still have two more games to come. They're going to be playing New Zealand on the 24th and then Italy on the 25th. Of course, the French national team is led by none other than Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert is their best player. He was he is a defensive player of the year candidate every single year. Uh, flanking him, they have Evan Fournier on the perimeter as a guard with Frank Tilakina, Elio Kobo is on the team. Nando DiColo, who was an NBA player at one point, is on the team as well. They also have Nicholas Batum. So they have some decent talent, but they don't have a lot of extreme talent. It's very much so similar to Spain in this way. Yes, you're talking about five NBA players right there. But Fournier is not going to be the best player on the floor very often. Nick Batum is not going to be. Frank Tilakina is not going to be. Elio Kobo is still so young. Rudy Gobert is still very one-dimensional, especially without a lot of shooters and creators around him. So the French national team is also going to be an interesting one to watch because they could have very good nights and very bad nights, which is clear by the fact that they only scored 69 points against Turkey. So it's going to be interesting to watch French, the French team as well. I don't think they're very good yet. I think that it's fine that they're in the, that they're fifth or sixth in terms of overall odds to win just because it kind of has a big fall off after the top eight and everyone between five and eight is pretty much interchangeable in my mind. Um, honestly, if I'm going to talk about just from the top five right now, I would have Serbia, USA, Spain, Greece, and France. That's how I would have them listed in order of teams that I think are going to be the most difficult to deal with. But I want to get into group H because in terms of people who just love to watch good, violent, intense, um, just really grinded out bloodbath basketball, which is what group H is going to be. You're going to love this group H is Australia, 
who is not a pushover team by any stretch. Lithuania, who is never going to fold, and they have always been an international basketball staple. And then Canada, who have quite a few NBA players on their roster as well. Senegal is also in that group H, but Senegal is not going to be able to keep up with the rest of these teams. I have no idea who is going to come out of Group H. Australia is 1-1 one one in exhibition games. They lost by 20 to Canada and then beat Canada by 8. They still have to play the USA team on the 24th of August. We'll wait until then. But they have Joe Ingles on their roster, Aaron Baines, Matthew Dellavedova, Jonah Bolden, Andrew Bogut, Patty Mills. They are not a pushover. Australia may not be known as a basketball hub, but they are not just going to be a team that falls over and is a team that you can just walk through whenever you feel like it. They are going to be a tough out, just as Lithuania is. DeMontis Sabonis and Jonas Valanciunas were the only two NBA players on the roster, but they have so much chemistry and continuity in the same way that the Serbian national team does that they're going to have the ability to surprise teams in the World Cup. Still, though, they haven't been able to prove that they have the upward talent level to be able to keep, to compete with the better teams in international play. They have played six exhibition games so far, and they're only 3-3. Three and three. They lost by 8 to Spain, 78-70. to 70. They won by 20 over Finland, 80-60. to 60. Then they lost by 4 to Serbia, as we talked about earlier, 72-68, to 68, before losing by 4 again to Serbia, 95-91. to 91. Then they beat Finland 87-46, to 41-point beatdown on Finland. And then they beat Russia by 16, 88-72. So they've beaten some bad teams and they've lost to good teams. That's basically what we're looking at. They lost to Spain and Serbia twice while beating Finland twice and Russia. So that's not a great indicator of their ability to really make a run at the FIBA World Cup. But again, Lithuania has been a staple forever in international play for a reason, and they should never be, be, you know, cast off as a team that's not going to be able to compete. And lastly is Canada. Canada is frustrating because they had so many NBA players who were going to be on that team. They had Kelly Olynyk, they had Andrew Wiggins, they had RJ Barrett, they had Jamal Murray, they had so many. Chris, Bo- or, uh, they had I can't remember. I think it was Nick Stauskas who is who dropped out as well. They just had so many legit NBA players on their team who either due to injury or due just to preparing for the NBA season dropped out, and that's extremely frustrating because this would have been the best national team that Canada has ever fielded in international play. Still though. Corey Joseph, Kem Birch, Nick Stauskas, Chris Boucher, Brady Helsip. These are still good players. Um, this is not a team that was nearly as terrifying as it was you know, a month ago when they had their full complement of a roster together, but they're not going to be an easy out. Um, they are currently 3-2 and two in international play. They are... Are actually yeah, so 3-2 and two in international play. They they beat Nigeria 96-87. to Then they lost to Nigeria 90-81. to They then beat Australia by 20, 90-70, before then losing to Australia by 8, 81-73. Now, as I'm recording this podcast, they had like 125 points upon New Zealand. We're up by like 40. So I just accounted that as a win because no one's coming back from that game. So as of right now, Canada is up. Canada is 3-2 and two in their five exhibition games, and they'll have one more game left against New Zealand on the 21st, which is Wednesday and tomorrow. So when you look at Group H, Australia is plus 125 to win, Lithuania is plus 145, and Canada is plus 300. I don't know what the best value is. Like I said, it's going to be a bloodbath in Group H. I don't know who's going to come out, but whoever does is going to be battle-tested, man. Like That's a tough group to get through. 
But I do fully believe, now that I have broken this down and looked at each team and what they are able to put together and the kind of team that they can be and what kind of play style they're going to have, I can't help but feel that Serbia has an edge over everybody. Full stop. Yes, the USA team is talented. Kemba Walker is going to feast in international play. Donovan Mitchell has come along extremely well and he's looked like a better defender. Chris Middleton will do everything you need. Jason Tatum is such an effortless scorer. He'll be able to get his shot whenever he wants to. Miles Turner was a defensive player of the year candidate last year. Joe Harris is an unconscious shooter. He can just make anything. Brooke Lopez, probably the best shooting big man in the game. Mason Plumley can do a little bit of everything but shoot. And then I guess Kyle Kuzma is there somewhere as well. Whenever you need to go add in some turnovers, I guess, to get you guys back focused again because you were playing so loose. I don't know. But regardless, I don't think the USA team is going to be able to keep up with Serbia. Beyond USA and Serbia, though, it gets very dicey. I think you then have Spain and Greece and France in a tier, and then you get the Australia, Lithuania, and Canada in a tier. And after them, you're just going to have Argentina and Russia as basically the last two teams to round out that top 10. So I'm very excited to see what they can do. I hope this breakdown gave people a better idea of what has happened in the exhibition games for or leading up to the FIBA World Cup and kind of what to expect when teams get to the FIBA World Cup. So... That's what I wanted to spell out. Not everybody's able to watch grainy streams online at random parts of the day to watch these exhibition games. So hopefully this painted a better picture for where guys are at. But this has been the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. As always, thank you guys for listening and sticking around. It means the world to me, even though you guys are having to deal with me talking about international basketball so much. But it's going to be a very, very, very fun FIBA World Cup. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast listening platform you use, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Google Podcast, whether it's, you know, Spreaker, whether it's Stitcher, I don't care, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Just make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Leave me a five-star review. Leave a comment. Leave me a DM about what you would like to hear more of from this podcast, whatever it may be. I am always around. You can reach out to my Twitter at TJ McBride MBA. And then I have TJ underscore McBride NBA on Instagram. You can also reach out to me there and I'll have all kinds of content coming out for the rest of the summer. But until we get to the next podcast on Wednesday or Thursday, this has been the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast and we'll talk to you later.